You're listening to a Jigged, a bartender podcast where we interview highly successful bartenders about their careers, lives, and the passion of bartending. This week we caught up with Bob Louisson, the general manager of the Pussyfoot Saloon in Seoul. He is of course the Frenchman who shook up the bar scene in Korea and China, with the Pussyfoot Saloon now winning the One to Watch Award during Asia's Top 50. With this podcast we want to peel back the mask and discover just how the greats became the greats, so enjoy. Hello, my name is Bob Ruizon. I'm the general manager of Pussyfoot Salon in Seoul, and I'm also doing a lot of uh, bar consulting around Asia. And um, I'm a bartender, obviously. Thank you very much for uh, finding the time in uh, sunny Singapore. I know it's uh, being a bit of a challenge because Singapore Cocktail Week is in full swing. So I'm glad you managed to come here. So tell us, so first of all, where are you based? So now I'm based in Seoul, in South Korea. Okay, and uh, but you're not from there, are you? I'm from France, Paris, originally. That's quite a switch, is it? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I, I always wanted to come to Asia and I came uh, 11 years ago. I decided to move to Beijing for the first uh, first stop and then grew uh, a lot of connection through there. And then that's when I decided to do some consulting for bars in China. And then I, I slowly grew my business around Asia. And one day I, I had the opportunity to come to Seoul and decided to, to make the step. What is it that attracted you to Asia? Uh, it's been since I was a child, I guess. I've seen a lot of movies. I uh, tried the food when I was back home in Paris and uh, did martial arts, I guess, with like a lot of, uh, lot of us. And uh, I don't a, bit, know, a bit of Dragon Ball, I guess. A lot of Dragon Ball. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of Dragon Ball, yeah. And uh, yeah, just one day I, I decided to take a leap of faith and just do it, make the jump. Through, uh, through from Paris. And once I landed in Beijing, my first thought was like, Wow, what am I doing here? This is crazy, but uh, I never regret it. So, so what did you study exactly? Um, so, uh, first, first I was doing a management position for a bar that was opening for the Olympics just before the Olympics, and uh, through there I just met a lot of like uh, distributors, uh, brand ambassadors, uh, brand representatives, and then they started to ask me to do some master classes, some guest shift around town for their brands. This is in Beijing. In Beijing, yeah. So, but like, what, what were you doing in France before uh, oh, you before? left? So, I I studied art, uh, and then it was very expensive. <laughs> so I, I wanted to have my parents to pay for my studies, and one day a friend said, "Hey, you should apply for a job as a bartender once you turn 18." And uh, that's what I did. I thought it was very fun at first. It was cool to make drinks. It was cool to to meet people. I could already start, you know, to practice a little bit of English. Being from France, it was something new for me. And then, uh, yeah, I think I gave it a, a year of trial during holidays and weekends, and I really fell in love with it. And the rest is history. I just stick to it and started to travel around the world three years later. Moved to London, back to France, went to New York, back to France, went to Spain, uh, Barcelona, Ibiza back to France again for a while and then that's when I decided to move to Asia. So all these cities you visited, were they working opportunities or you just visited for fun? Uh, I just decided to move there and find a job myself. So starting from London, what year was this? Uh, So it was 2004, if I'm right. Quite a while ago. Yeah, a long time ago now. And how was London at that time? Did you like it? Oh, I loved it. Like a friend told me, like, "Hey, come, like you, you're gonna love it. I help you find a job." And I had a few friends who, who briefed me, prepped me, say, "Okay, talk like this, dress like that." And at the time, I got an interview with a few places, and I got a job within just three days. Went back to France, packed up, and came back. And for me, it was the best experience of my life. Like people were so 
so international, like so cosmopolitan city. And at the time, I was making so many tips. I was just like, "What is this? This is crazy!" It's and and the people coming at the bar, people knew more than me when they were ordering drinks at the time. I was like, "Oh my god, I have so much to learn." That was really the beginning. Like I was only three years old bartender at the time, and I had to be a bar back again to learn all the all the basics. I would say the international standards. How much time did you spend in London? Uh, two years at a time. And after that, uh, you went back to France, you mentioned? Yes, went back to France, where I worked for a big group company called the group uh, George Five uh, in English. And they had a lot of different bars around town. Uh, some specialized into like Barrio Latino, more Latin bar. Some were like really uh, good cocktail bars. And some were maybe like more like uh, club bars. So it was, it was very interesting and, and it was a good uh, follow up after London. And then after that, I decided to go to my dream city, which is New York. And there I worked uh, in a wine bar where I actually learned more about wine there than when I was back in France. I was really not into wine. And it was interesting to actually do that. Also 10 tables on the floor, being a bartender. So that experience actually gave me uh, the chance to, to open my vision on, on bartending and see our F&B industry is not just about, you know, making drinks. It's, it's all about the people and then learning all different positions actually helps you to know how to build up your business in the future. How did you manage to get a visa to work in uh, the States? Uh, very quickly. Uh, this is what I like about USA. It's, they give you the opportunity very easily. When they see you're hardworking and you do a good job, they give you your chance. So I get, I get, I think it was B1 visa at the time. They sponsor me right away uh, after okay. months. And uh, after I could have the opportunity to extend it every year. But I like to travel around the world and I didn't want to limit myself to just that. I wanted to learn Spanish. And I decided, yeah, I got to go because at the time I knew how much Spanish and English are the most biggest language in the world or the most spoken. So I, I felt, yeah, I should, I should go to Spain. And that's what I did after. How was Malaga? It was, it was just, just, just amazing. Like, I think there is no one day that I, that I don't miss it. Every time I want to go back, uh, if I have the chance, I'll do it. I guess the weather there is fantastic, it's, is it? It's, it's so such good. a holiday place. Yeah, this is this is what I love. Like you go, you go to the beach on the weekend, or you know, you go to the beach when you wake up. You chill in the afternoon on the beach, especially when you're bartender. You're like, yeah, this is their time. This is your holiday time. And then after you go to work uh, with a tan and refresh, fresh air. You eat more healthy on those areas as well, and I'm sure for you too in Singapore. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's uh, the lifestyle is better. But that's one of the things I love about bartending, you know. That's why I usually say, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine called Joe the other day, Joe Schofield, and we were saying... I love Joe. Yeah, he's a cool guy, isn't he? Really and we were saying, like, just how much we love this industry because some of the opportunities, some of the places we visit, some of the things we do are unbelievable, aren't they? True, true. So after that, talk to us about Beijing. How did Beijing go for you? Was it a bit of a cultural shock when you moved there? It was a big cultural shock. I would say there is nothing, nothing like it, like... I mean, you've been to Seoul, you've been to different places around Asia, so you've seen the difference between here, Singapore, and so on. But yeah, like Beijing was my first day up in Asia, and I was, I was like, wow. That's a first hardcore <laughs> step, man. Yeah, <laughs> like I was, I was, yeah, yeah, eleven years younger, didn't know any, uh, anything else than the Western country, so it was so much to learn. Basically, I felt like a baby. I felt like I was learning life again from the beginning. Like, okay, flavors, uh, language, because I had to learn Mandarin at the time just by speaking with people every day. I feel like if I don't learn the language, I'm never going to be able to do anything because no one speaks English. 
Shanghai is easy. When you go to Shanghai, it's like New York, it's like here, everyone speaks English, so you're fine. But in Beijing, 11 years ago, no one speaks English at all, everywhere. So I just I had to really work hard on my work. I was working hard on studying the language. And then it's a total different, you know, uh, in terms of uh, uh, food. It's so different also. So the way how you enjoy food is different. The, the flavors are completely opposite or totally new to you. So it's, it, it was a, a very overwhelming experience at first for the first year and a half, I would say. But then I felt slowly more and more comfortable as I was learning uh, Mandarin. And from the beginning, anyway, I just loved it. I felt I didn't want to go back from day one. I was like, yeah, I'm here. I'm, I'm where, where I should but, be. But what is it that made you love it? Because considering that you worked in F&B, yeah. right? So you mentioned flavors. Flavors is such a big part of what we do. Mm. And like, in a way, you don't speak the language, like the actual language, which is Chinese, but then you don't also speak the flavor language. So how yes. did you manage to make it work? Like, what were the main challenges and how did you try to overcome those? I don't know. I would say like, I've been always very sensitive to, on my palate, on tasting things. So the way how I perceived the flavors were not like disturbing, but more on the interesting side. And I, and I was very, very excited to discover new flavor, test new fruits, new products, new vegetables, new, you know, even the sauces they use, you know, for like, uh, for the vegetables, for the meats, the way how they cook food. It was very inspirational on how to use those flavors actually into cocktails because from back back in the day, I remember the way how I've been brought up and the way how food tastes like in France is very specific. The, the, the flavor are very bold and very, very unique and very, I would say, very smooth and, mm. and soft and gentle. But then Chinese, it's a lot of spices, a lot of sharpness with vinegar. Plus, I was introducing introduced a lot to tea. So it was very, very interesting for me to see all the different varieties of tea you have and how you can actually use that in cocktails. And I think I was one of the first person using uh, tea into cocktails at the time from, from a year, within a year after moving to China. No one would want to use tea into cocktails because it was such a traditional thing. Mm -hmm. But I remember one day I was on the way somewhere to a market and I was in, a, in this taxi and and I keep seeing every taxi driving ha a driver having that bottle uh, like thermostat keeping like a hot tea with them all, all year long. It's either hot or cold, but they always have that bottle next to them. And I started to, to think to myself, well, since tea is everywhere, I should incorporate it into cocktails because I remember at the time not much people knew about mojito even or like basic classic cocktail. Oh, really? It was like no one knew how to make a mojito in 2008 in Beijing. That was, that was crazy. But then I, I realized I should use local flavors into cocktails to attract people, to make them taste things that they know or things that they're familiar with, and then introducing them to other things slowly, step by step. So the signature that I was developing or when I was doing consulting and developing menu for bars, I would do like signature to kind of like attract the people. And then I have like a, a very basic, solid, eight classic cocktail menu where then I can show to people, hey, those are classic. Those are like really historical. They might surprise you or they might be too different for you. But you've tried this. This is modern. This is like really historical. And if you enjoy that, then you can enjoy the other. And slowly your palate will develop and the more flavor you try, the more you can, you know, enjoy and appreciate things because that's how you develop your palate. So how many places have you worked in uh, Beijing or have you actually consulted for? 
too many. <laughs> a lot, eh? A lot, a lot. Mm. Uh, I got very lucky. I got approached by uh, LVMH and uh, MHD uh, very quickly. And I, d- I did a lot of work spe- specifically with Gramani at the time. And then they started to send me Gramani and Belvedere. They started to send me around China and then Hong Kong and then Singapore, Taiwan, Japan, Indonesia, and then other brands also approached me. So I got a lot of consulting doing through brands and then by myself. Uh, as I was developing contact, then people were starting to ask me, can you develop menu? Can you design bars? Can you do guest, guest bartender and, th- and things like this? So I, I pretty much did every bars in Beijing that were opening until 2012 when I left. Um, I've done a lot of openings and a lot of trainings in bars in Hong Kong. I've done a lot of trainings also here in Singapore, um, in Bali, in Jakarta. I think all the main bars have been there and, and, and did some work for them. In Tokyo, it was uh, more as a guest shift and training actually MHD team, all the sales representatives, so that they know more about the brands and how to approach partners because I felt like all the industry over there was more focused on the whiskey and they didn't know how to make bartender drink more about liquors and vodka and gin and rum. So it was a lot of uh, brand activi- activation in Japan. And uh, and then I think Korea was a lot of my own work where I did a lot of master classes and, and tried to share as much as, possi- as possible with the, with the bar industry there and try to kind of like wake up the scene and give them as many tools as possible. So after Beijing... What, what made you move from Beijing and what was the next challenge that you decided to set your sights on? So, yeah, like um, I, I really wanted to, to stay in Beijing, but unfortunately, the pollution became so big. Uh, before the Olympics, they were regulating the sky, the air, everything, like clearing all the factories away from Beijing and turning everything off. But then slowly they reactivated them every year. And by the time it was 2012, it was just unbreathable. It was really, really, really bad. in the space of four years. Yeah, 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 it was really crazy. And that's why now they actually relocate all the offices out of city, uh, out of town, to be really outside on the outskirts on the 7th or 10th ring of, of, of the city, which is pretty far from the center. Center is like first, second, and third ring, and then after you're really far. So the government put everyone outside, they limit, they limit the traffic, a lot of e- electrical cars, uh, more than bicycle now. So I think it helped to clear the sky now and it's really really nice compared to even like six years ago so for me i felt of my health i felt okay i have a good business but at the end of the day you need to have a, a be healthy yeah of yeah. course uh, even my family was a bit uh, worried for me at the time so then i decided actually to move to bangkok and i was doing some consulting there for months very quickly and then someone called me in cambodia for two months and then out of the blue someone called me for korea and I went there, I was supposed to stay for a month, and then it became seven, and now it's been six years. What did you like about Korea? I mean, the first time I went to Korea, it was thanks to you, actually. But I found it extremely alien, you know, in a way, like very, very difficult. And I'm sure that also China must have been incredibly alien, but <laughs> but like to go back through the whole thing again, mm. like, I don't know, what made you think this is it? Well, for me, I like challenges. And um, I like difficulties. I feel going to a market that is already developed is not that challenging. And I don't feel like I, I fulfill myself enough if I don't do something challenging, first of all. But I remember when I came to Beijing, something that struck me is how much the scene is undeveloped. And that's what I've seen in Seoul when I came the first time. 
In terms of bars? In bars, restaurants, F&B industry, hotels, everything. You would go to a five-star hotel, but you would have like the service, like if you would have it on a very small restaurant next door. So I could see the, the standards, everything was not there. And I just realized that I have the chance, or I had the chance at the time, to leave a mark or leave kind of a legacy by, by staying here in, in Beijing first and then Seoul. Because if you go to US, if you go to Europe, okay, now we have awards, now we have a lot of like votes and magazines who give awards and things like this, where we're starting to get re more recognition and our profession is getting more and more respected. But 10 years ago, it was just starting to rise. And, and I feel it's going to be very hard to leave a mark back in the Western countries. But here, you, get, you have the chance to do and to leave a mark and to see what it was like 20 or 30 years ago back in New York or London. And to be a, kind of, a, I don't know, the daily growth of Asia and to, to, to leave something behind and to, to see it happening in front of your eyes. And it's happening so fast. I'm sure you've seen mm -hmm. it. And I felt, wow, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to be able to bring the trends, the knowledge of things that I've seen and experienced back home to here in Asia and see, seeing it grow and have the chance to not just leave my mouth, but actually witness it and see it evolve and see the sparkle, the sparkle in the eyes of, of partners when you say something and then they get it. And, and more than that, when you see like their love growing for that, because in Asia, it's, it's like 30 years ago before for us when being a partner wasn't a respectful job and then specifically in Asia people want their kids to be a doctor to be scientists to be lawyers and bankers they want they want them to make money and have a safe future and being a bartender you don't earn much much money if you want to make big money you go in different business so to to work in this industry even in Asia I felt I felt even more motivated to see that people in some part of Asia don't get much money but they're very passionate and they love it. They want to do it. They, they're intrigued by making cocktails, by, by meeting people, talking with them, talking about what they do, flavors and so on. And I felt like, yeah, I want to be part of that. I want to be able to see it and contribute to it. How do you keep, because you mentioned the fact that you go to certain markets and you see them evolve, right? Yes. But in order for you to keep this evolution going, you must have a point of reference, right? Because you mentioned like, oh, okay, yeah. I believe they're like 10, 10, 15 years, not as developed as other parts of the world. Yes. So do you travel back and forth quite a lot to get ideas or? Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. um, I travel a lot, obviously, all around Asia to, to keep seeing uh, which city is evolving the most compared to others and to see trends. And, and I travel a lot back to US, back to Europe. I just came back in February where I did like a three weeks tour all around Europe, went to back home to France, then Luxembourg. Amsterdam, Germany, and then back to London, then Ireland for the first time, visited a few distilleries as well, uh, and then back to Paris. And for me, it's very important. You, you have to travel to keep always your mind fresh, to get inspired, to see what's going on everywhere. And I feel this year is the first time where I felt things have been reversed, mm -hmm. where until two years ago when I would go back to Europe. USA, they're still more advanced. But when I go back to Europe, I feel things are always way, way advanced, way beyond, way further ahead of us uh, in Asia. But this time when I went back, I saw that a lot of very top bars or top cities, very, very famous for cocktail bars, are actually falling behind of Asia. And I can see Asia is like catching up a lot right now. We, we're getting, I think, almost on the same level. Obviously, a lot of, I would say, knowledge 
a lot of products are more available there than here. But I can see that people are so passionate here that they push the limit very high. And more and more foreigners are coming to Asia now. So it's bringing all those knowledge from like London, New York, Chicago, LA, whatever, uh, all back here. And so before people know it, I think uh, people are dedicating more their craft, their skills, and their passion into this industry now that, that I've seen in some of the big cities back in Europe. I was like, wow, this is, this is great to see. Like it's kind of evening up. Tell us about Seoul. When you arrived there, you mentioned that there wasn't much in terms of bars. Now it's it's a thriving community. There's a there's a lot of bars there. Yes. What role did you play there, and how how did it go? So I started one consulting, two, three, four. Uh, I have one bar called called uh, Vault eighty uh, two. They opened a second one after that, but um, within their two months of opening, I helped them to do the the bar menu, training the staff, setting up a, a bar program there, and then um, and then after that. I started to have the idea of organizing something called Secret Bartender Society. Um, the point was not just to do a masterclass, was to bring bartenders together. Because I felt like there was nothing at the time that was bringing bartenders together and where they would have fun, where they would talk and, and feel like a friendly atmosphere. Only what class the AGO would do that, but then it would be very competitive, so they wouldn't be like very, very, uh, very nice to each other. But by doing those masterclasses, I basically, the first one was like a, a testing of 30 different genes that I compiled through my travelings. And I just brought my, my, my bottles and I said, I open everything. I had a testing map uh, with a lot of references and explanation. And so there was a time during the class that was also a load uh, for, for them to just mingle, you know, before and after there was some food. And, and I saw they loved it. For the first time, I saw bartenders smiling since I arrived <laughs> like at, at the time like bartenders were really not smiling and and I feel like they're taking it too serious and and so if they're not having fun then the, the guests won't have fun so uh it was nice finally people were opening up and then I've, I was doing that for two years and it, it, it really went up a lot uh, I got more and more turned up and then that's how we met together uh-huh. I invited you and and thank you again for coming. It was one of the best. Oh, uh, thank you for having me. That was an amazing experience. <laughs> it was it was really one of the most fun, especially with this, with Spaniard. It was really, yeah, really Spaniard cool. is mega. Yeah, <laughs> he's such a cool guy. Because then he he went on and he filled like what like twelve bars. 12? Yeah, yeah, it was a lot. Ten, twelve, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy stuff. Like the video called the Serve Two Point The Serve Two Point Yeah. Um, yeah, and then so first I was doing it myself, and then I felt okay. I need to bring people because I don't want them to see the same thing over and over or listen to the same way of speaking. I was inspired by the fact of seeing how Singapore and Hong Kong is doing. More and more foreigners are coming, so I tried with my own money. I wasn't making uh, any profit with those classes, inviting different partners every time, and then we get some brand ambassador, we get some some good good people, and I saw the the interest growing. And bartender discovering about things that it would take them a long time by reading books uh, if they don't travel, if they don't meet people, and, and so on. So from there, I saw the, the, the community growing. World class helped a lot. More bars opened. The, the market opened up more and more. More customers went to bars. It was, for the first few years, it was a lot about single malt whiskey bar. But then suddenly the trend turned quickly towards cocktails. And before we know it, in 2017, I think, 
I decided, okay, I'm going to organize the first cocktail, I mean, the first bar week. Because there was some, some cocktail week, but they were just like, I would say, in neighborhoods, few bars getting together and say, we call it the cocktail bar week with small promotion, but nothing really was happening other than that. So I decided to use my connection, invite people from all around the world and doing masterclasses during the day, doing guest shift during the night and kind of like concentrating per neighborhood for each day. You would go within walking distance to four or five bars because, you know, Seoul is big. Mm -hmm. And then you would see like four or five different guest bars on a night within that neighborhood. And each day would be a different neighborhood trying to get to have everyone see Seoul, whether if you're coming from somewhere else. Or if you're living in a part of town, but you never go to a different part of town because you have no idea, actually you have great bars in the north of Seoul. So I decided um, to organize within this platform. And then I did it in September 2017, if, I if I'm correct. And it was called the Seoul Bar Week. And I think that really opened up and put Seoul on the map a little bit more. And that's what I wanted. Only to, be, to make people be aware that we have great bars, we have great bartenders, and we have people who are very passionate and, and who are dying for knowledge and, and wants to meet more. But it's difficult maybe for them to leave the bar, to, to travel, uh, to have the finance to, to travel. So that was the biggest thing I think I've done in Korea. You mentioned the, the fact that you wanted to bring bartenders over because you wanted to reduce the amount of books and things that maybe bartenders have to read. Do you have any genuine difficulty in finding books that are translated to Korean? In Korea, like yeah. cocktail books? Yeah, yeah, I think they have maybe two or three whiskey books and maybe two cocktail books. Ah, so the amount of actual information they have is very limited. Very limited. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of partners don't see, or a lot of people anyway in general, don't see the, the point of learning English in Korea because they are everyday facing only local people. They don't have a lot of foreigners traveling. They don't travel themselves a lot. Um, it's hard to get a motivation or reason, I guess, for them to have to learn English since it's very convenient to speak Korean every day. Um, but I think through the guest shift that I initiated and world class, now you have a lot of bars who start to invite a lot of guest bartenders and that made bartenders want to learn more English. And I think since the trend of uh, our industry, the, the new, the second cocktail edge, I think has, has finally reached all of Asia. I think now bartenders in Korea also really, really wants to learn more. So they're getting to, to study English better and better and having more access on, on internet. And that's, that's what I was telling every bartenders who were coming to the class. I told them, you have to study English because what I'm telling you, it's only a small fraction of what you can have access if you can read English then you just go on Google, you can download books, you can, so much you can see, and then you are, you are, the amount of knowledge will be infinite for you. Hmm. I think one of the reasons why this is probably the golden age of bartending at the moment is because it's so easy for us to access information, right? Yes. And, and, and the fact that there is a huge chunk of population who cannot access that information purely based on language is mind-blowing. I just didn't, you know, I, I never thought about the fact that, yeah, there are no, bartending books translated in Korean, right? Yeah, and that was the same thing in China at the beginning. Now now you have a lot in Hong Kong too. But now so many people speak English in China, so it's 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 really opening up. I think Korea Seoul is gonna be in about five years. I think the city will really explode in terms of bartending, cocktails. Because what you have here that we don't have there is not only the, the knowledge and, and the the bartenders can speak English, but it's the crowd. 
here the crowd is educated like back in london or new york or france it's like people order their drinks by brands they know what they want they understand flavor they they're traveling they they've experienced different types of drinks where in seoul people still don't know what is a vermouth don't know what is an amaro don't know what is a sherry wine and so you you really have to go into details and everything you're doing you explain what you're using and where it's coming from how it's made and then slowly knowledge are getting there and then people start to order by brands on other cocktails exactly they already know what they want um it's gonna take five to ten years just because of the english yeah it's crazy and when you arrived there were we see bars a big thing or when i arrived there it was just just beginning it was really a, a big leap of faith i would say even for me because beijing I, when i moved to beijing i saw there was already few bars but Seoul, back in the day, there was only a place called Coffee Barquet, which which is very uh, Japanese-influenced style. And that was the first first cocktail bar in 2011. And I just came like in 2012, 13. Um, then you've got the first ever speakeasy called the uh, Mortar Speakeasy, uh, which, which is going to close in November, actually. So if anyone goes to Seoul, they should go there before November because that's like an institution now, I would say. Um, and then you, you had that place vault, and then it just spread out slowly and slowly, and it started with three bars, and now you have more than 300 just in Seoul. So one of the challenges that you have in Korea is actually importing uh, ingredients, is it? Uh, I would say importing alcohol. Yeah. Uh, ingredients, it's easy. There, there are a lot of ways you can, you can, you can find different uh, sources. Uh, you have to know what to write down on the invoice so that they can go through customs otherwise they will keep it but for alcohol it's it's a headache just because of taxes it's 175 percent taxes on alcohol now it has gone down a little bit i think it's 145 for every 40 percent abv like whiskey rum tequila and so on it's oh, crazy it is so it's it's making very hard for importers to make money distributors and bars uh, at the end, you end up with a drink that costs you 20, 25 bucks, just the drink. And then some bars add a, a cover charge to try to make more margin because it's very hard. That's crazy. And uh, I heard something about you need to get some uh, alcohol spirits pre-approved by the government or something like that. Uh, I don't know about that, but I think it's everything in general, like even glassware. If you want to use glassware, it has to be, you know, checked by the government and approved for the health and hygiene. You have a lot of restriction on different aspects because alcohol means money. People will drink, so government have their hands on. Especially because it's a it's a very high drinking culture society, as you've seen. Mm-hmm. But it's mostly soju, soju, macaulay, and traditional Korean um, alcohol. So it's so cheap. Those alcohol are very very low cost, and obviously the government, uh, local companies are producing those and. Uh, understand they want to keep you know the market and 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 make more more profit as much as they can so when all those foreigner spirits came in they felt like it was uh it was a threat to them and so taxes went went off the roof to protect their sales but in two years the sales are going to go down to 70 percent oh that's uh, quite a jump yeah so it's not many people know it yet but that means that all those bars who are focusing their sales on selling bottles, which you've seen, mm-hmm. a lot of whiskey bars, well, they're going to have to rethink their strategy, business model, maybe turn more to cocktails because then the margin, uh, profit margin will be bigger by selling cocktails rather than selling bottles. And uh, I think that will help more brands to come in. That would be good. 
Have you seen any bars that takes advantage of this and they focus on soju-based cocktails? There are a few, like there is a bar called Bar Cham who opened recently, which is located near uh, the Four Seasons Hotel actually in North of Seoul. And I think Charles H at the Four Seasons tried when Lorenzo was there. Mm-hmm. So they did a few things also with Korean spirits. I've done some things at, at uh, Pussyfoot Salon also. And I've seen two or three bars who are very local who only sells Korean spirits, try to do cocktails with it. And um, it's, it's just nice to go to sit down and, and try drinks made with local local spirit. And I think few cities that I've traveled around Korea actually do more of that than in Seoul. I've been to a bar where 50 or 70% of the cocktail list is only using local spirits, and it was fantastic. Well, they keep the, must keep the cost very, very low, right? Yeah, because the bottle would cost you $15, $20 versus whiskey would cost you like $70, $80. Ah, that's like nothing. Yeah, so it's easy. You just go for the, for the good price. So you mentioned uh, that the drinking culture is quite crazy there. Yeah, it's crazy. Does this make running a bar easier or more difficult? Good question. So I would say that then you touch the question of drinking responsibly, which is never, never, ever approached in Korea. I know that Diageo approached it about two years ago when they're selling their low ABV whiskey. That has been a huge trend. On the other side, it's not too expensive, so people buy more. But I think that's why low ABV whiskey has started to be trendy the past two years. Uh, there were some masterclasses about it to bartenders, but it's, it's just happening. Like, basically, you walk in a bar, and the, the owners, the managers, the, the bartenders, and water staff are trained and told to never tell the customers you have too much to drink, sir. Maybe you should, you should ease, ease up tonight. So you, you never cut people off? Uh, so in my in my bar that I've been managing now for a year and a half, I've been cutting off a lot of people. But then there are very good ways to never never let them know why you cut them off. Uh, at first it was very hard. We we got some some like like confused faces, and and people didn't know what, what was going on. But it's it works. It works. Uh, at the end of the day, you have a great atmosphere. People actually came back to me multiple times and said, thank you so much for last, last night or for last time. Uh, I really had too much to drink. And if I had more, I don't know what would have happened. Um, I know that in the US, uh, it's because if someone has an accident, you get responsibility uh, once they leave your place. If they leave your place drunk and they are on, on their way to the next bar or on their way home, and they get a car accident, for example, then you will have to pay for the fee. You can lose your drinking license, your alcohol license, which is ridiculously expensive there. Um, You can lose your license to open the bar, everything. So people are trained to be careful and look after their guests. Uh, But here in in South Korea, in Seoul, no one knows or cares about that. So it's it's been it's been a, one of my battles to try to make people more sensitive about you know their consumption. Training my team on seeing the the different uh, signs to see when when people are getting inhibited, and uh, learning the tips and tricks on how to cut them off or slow down their alcohol consumption, and then at, at the end they live happy. And this is the most important. It's like. If you can cut someone off and then the next time they come back and they're very happy, then you did a good job. Mm. Yeah, I remember when I was there and I did the shift in Bolton. I had a lot of people walking in and I looked at them and I was like, this guy, <laughs> this guy, really? You know, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's Korea. It's like <laughs> there is no limit until you pass out. That's, that's, ah, that's, the, that's the bottom line. Yeah. That's the bottom line. So, and then they will pass out. 
they will sleep on a table, on a chair, on a bar. They will power nap. And then 30 minutes later, they will wake up and then they, they, get, back they, at they it. get back at it. <laughs> <laughs> Non-stop. Wow. And, until they really pass out. And this is the culture. And it's like, yeah, if you can drink a lot, then, you know, you're strong and you, you're bonding with your coworkers, you're bonding with people. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of work to, to go around. Like if you look online, you, you search for like the, the highest alcohol consumed, it's soju. Mm. And it's not consumed around the world the most. It's just so much consumed in Korea that this, this is the most alcohol consumed in the world. And Korean people are the highest alcohol consumer in the world. So what is your latest project? Like, what are you on right now? So right now I'm managing a place called Pussyfoot Saloon, uh, which we opened in February 2018. I uh, started to work on this project since October 2017. Uh, I get the chance to be offered to actually design the place from the beginning. I, I design 100% for the bar side and then I help on the design as well. And then I was given the freedom to do what I believe in. So I, I'm very thankful for that. Uh, train, train a bartender from scratch, hire them, did a bar program that I believe would work in Korea. Uh, build up the bar menu more and more complex as every menu were updated. It's been, it's been an amazing experience, like seeing also being more close to people because to the guests, because before I was really focusing on evolving the industry more on, on the bar side, but now, now I was try, try to focus more on the guest side. So I've learned a lot. I've seen a lot. And I think now the bar is doing well. Um, I'm actually going to move to another project uh, after after this week. Uh, I'm leaving uh, Pussyfoot Saloon. So this is a, this is a perfect way to announce it. Um, and uh, I haven't planned anything yet. I, I, I want to take a month or two and reflect on, you know, things I've done in Korea. See if I want to move to a different market. Um, because I, when I went back to, to France during my holidays, I actually went around Armagnac. And I've been very inspired by what I've seen. And I'm thinking I'd like to share that. I always like to share things. So I'm thinking maybe I'm going to do some import business of Armagnac around Asia. That's one, one thought. I have also a world tour idea where I'd like to travel different cities around the world and do guest shifts for like, you know, I mean, working in a bar for like two months and actually learning all the structure, how people work and get inspired, make a lot of uh, new learning, new encounter, new friends. And then after that, I'd like to open a bar. I also really want to open a bar, maybe if I get the opportunity now, if people uh, believe I can do a good job, then I'd like to find a partner investor. And uh, yeah, we'll see. Like now, I feel eleven years in Asia. In July, it's going to be twenty years. I've been bartender working in this industry, and uh, I feel like I feel happy. I, I, I mean, people can see now, but you, you see my smile, mm-hmm. and I just feel happy. So now I feel like I want to think a little bit, and then whatever I'm going to do next, I just feel very excited for the next next part. That's amazing. I think, uh, as we said earlier on, you know, like the, some of the opportunities that you get by bartending you know are incredible you know like sure. I, I was saying and i've used i've used the, my trip to korea a couple of times because i was so shocked about the fact that me and you we just saw each other once because i served you at the american bar yes yes and then after that i came over there and you put me in contact with the team at alice yes so with terry and and you all treated me like we were like long lost friends right and uh, this was what probably the first time that i realized that i just um i traveled to the other end of the world with people that I barely know and I'm having like the experience of a lifetime, right? Like it's something that money can't buy, right? So yes, yes. yeah, that's what makes this industry so amazing. Uh, one final thing about Korea. Um, 
now that in the past few years you had some big players like Puff and Co. Yes. Now Simone Caporale is moving over there. Yeah. Uh, are they are they building up the scene or are they carving their own niche? How do you see it? Mm. Um, I would say yeah, definitely they are they are contributing a lot. I mean, Puff and Co. has has done way more work than anyone I would say in, in Asia for for with with the consulting, with the importing, with uh, Hong Kong twenty eight. Now they are in so many different markets around Asia. I think I think we need more and more people like that because we need different minds, we need different ideas, we need different access of knowledge, different source of knowledge. And uh, everyone is doing what they believe in. Uh, the way that they see their, their vision of our industry and what we need, what we need, what, what we should do. And um, yeah, having Simone is just amazing. I never felt... I mean, I met him a few times back in, in London before, and I never thought that one day I'd work in the same city as him. So it's it's fantastic to have him here in Korea, uh, I mean, there in Korea. I, I wish more people go there, even it's not easy, even it's hard. I mean, we need we need more, more, more people to make it more international, to, mm-hmm. to open to different to different ideas. And I think, yeah, we should have more more companies than just than just one like Proof & Co. Like, a- a- anyone should jump in and do something like the more we are then the more we can contribute the more we can do the more we can achieve and you never know you you might you might uh, wake up one day think of an idea and that's going to be the next mind-blowing idea for the next 15 years uh one thing that i've learned is uh by doing one thing it leads to another you meet people and you would never meet those people if you didn't have that idea or try to do something but if you just uh, stay where you are and stay in your comfort zone, then you just witness what people accomplish. Uh, but if you want change, then you gotta take things by your own hands and mm-hmm. and make change happening. And of course, there will be bumps along the way, and of course, uh, it won't be easy. You'll doubt yourself, and a lot of people will will try to convince you what you're doing is is is, is crazy or dangerous. But if you if you love what you do, if you believe in what you do, and if you believe in the idea of what you want to do, then uh, yeah, just do it. Cool. Very last question I asked to everyone. If you could choose your very last drink, what would your last drink be? Wow. <laughs> it's super deep. It? It's a deep cut. <laughs> well, well, I'm lucky because like I said, I just went to Armagnac. So I'm, I'm just going to uh, give it to Armagnac. Like to anyone who get the chance to go to Armagnac, I would say just do it. Because the access of Armagnac that you have today, it's limitless for the price that you have uh, that you would pay you can drink a 90 60 years old armagnac like a 60 years old armagnac you can drink a 100 years old armagnac for like nothing like i'm not joking and if if now today you ask me now yeah for me that would be like 70 80 years old armagnac chilling with a cigar watching the sunset and just enjoy that's cool thank you very much thank you for your time eh? thank you Michele. Cool. my pleasure We hope you enjoyed our interview with Bob. You can find more content from us on YouTube and Instagram where we post our hashtag how to classic cocktails video where every week we show you how to make classic cocktails in less than a minute. We are unjiggered underscore media on Instagram and you can follow our personal accounts at mmariotti89 for Michele, Alex J. Murphy for myself and Adrian Bessa for Adrian. Thank you for listening.